reading from 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay. Suffering all of you, finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessings. Because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is good, God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Now, flicking over back to John 17, starting at verse 10. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I remain in the world no longer. But they still live in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that you may have the full measure of my joy with them, within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Finally, I want those who have given me to be given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. 
I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So I'm just going to be completely upfront. I don't have a song for you this week, I'm sorry. I feel like I should since the last two weeks. I've, um, as the last two weeks gone by, I've brought you a, a pop song at the beginning with a mixed up kind of idea of love. So the first one I think was called No Promises, a modern pop song. And then last week was Escape, the Pina Colada song. But this week I've got nothing. It's not from want of trying. I was there on the exercise bike, but just nothing stood out to me. But something that did stand out to me that wasn't a song this week was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald by Julia Baird. And essentially she was saying that the same-sex marriage result was only a defeat for pharisaical church leaders. And it was actually a triumph for the grassroots members of churches. It was a triumph for people sitting in, in the church pews who voted yes and who actually don't agree with their leaders. And she writes this about the announcement of the yes victory. The scenes were galvanic, visceral roars of relief, visible slumping, uncontrolled tears of joy, unabashed dancing, volcanic eruptions of hope and decency and fairness. Is it really possible to say God was not part of that? That God was still was sitting cranky on the sidelines, lamenting that more people will now formally vow to spend their lives caring for each other. And she finishes the article like this. It might be time to closely examine the true preoccupations of Jesus, who reserved his harshest words for Pharisees and publicly pious church leaders. Greed, selfishness, lack of love. It all boils down to love, he said. Funny that. Jesus is on about love, Julia says, and so as a church, we should be too. That's true, isn't it? It's it's what we've been saying these last two weeks in trying to capture who God wants us to be in our mission statement here at TNE. Love takes central place. Our vision here is loving God, loving God's people, loving the Northeast. And our mission statement, it begins like this. We want to be known by our love, overflowing in our church, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our city, in our world. Love is absolutely critical to what we should be on about. And we can agree wholeheartedly with her when she says that. But where we run into a problem is when we go to define love, when we go to define what love should look like. Are we happy to accept Julia Baird's definition of love. According to her, love means being out there celebrating with everyone else. That's where God has to be. There's no other option. And, and to be on the sideline is pretty much to be a hater, according to her definition. Now, this is really, really important for us to figure out as a church. Because there's a real danger with our, our vision and mission statement. And the danger with our vision and mission statement is that almost everybody loves the idea of being on about love. Any hippie or or rock star or celebrity will tell you, just love each other. 
most people agree that you know what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the one thing that there's just too little of. But what does that actually mean? The critical question is what does that love look like? How should it be defined and who should get to define it? Without an answer to that, our mission statement is pretty much useless to us. It won't help us at all. John Dixon wrote a response to Julia Baird's article and he points this out. He says, Baird is following a new and dare I say secular definition of love, love as agreement and grace as endorsement. Nothing could be further from the Christian viewpoint. Grace is the capacity to profoundly disagree with the course of someone's life and still respect and care for them in exactly the same way you would towards those with whom you completely agree. Secular acceptance is a pale reflection of this ancient theological truth. Real love is far deeper and honest and far more courageous than mere acceptance and endorsement. Well, today, of course, we're talking about loving the Northeast, but we need to be clear. We're not on about saying, whoever you are, whatever you do, we accept it and we endorse it. That's not our mission. And the reason for that is because that's not actually love. Our our mission statement says we want to be known by our love, but it goes on to say, not a soft, sentimental love, but the same deep, honest, courageous love with which God has loved us in Jesus. John Dixon finishes his his article talking about Jesus' kind of love and he writes, The true genius of Jesus found throughout the Gospels was his ability to speak against sin and even describe people as sinners while serving and building friendships with them all the same. That's exactly what our mission statement is calling us to do. That's the kind of love that we need to show. Our mission statement finishes like this, loving the Northeast as we connect, serve and evangelise to see people saved. Today we're going to explore how we love people in, in the Northeast with this same kind of love that Jesus showed. And the first way we want to love the Northeast as a church is by connecting. In other words, we don't want to just love people in abstract. We're not called to love the idea of the Northeast. And our mission isn't to love, you know, the trees and the houses and TTP and the Oban, even though they're pretty wonderful. We love people. And to love people, we've got to connect with them. We've got to interact and get to know them. We've got to build friendships. Now, for some of us, this is so obvious that it feels like it's a wasted concept in our mission statement. Why not replace it with something more urgent, more important? But actually, this concept is critical for us to get. Because for a whole heap of us Christians, we're actually great at disconnecting. And sometimes we can even act like that's our mission, to disconnect. One form of this is that we we end up in a kind of Christian bubble. We don't really mean to, it's just that our lifestyle choices and our friendship groups and our busyness with, with church these kind of good things, they form a bubble around us that stops us from connecting with people different, different to us. 
And of course, this isn't just a problem for Christians either. It's a common experience for lots of people in our modern world. People surround themselves with like-minded people. And even on social media, it can be a bit like a bubble around you where you only ever connect with like-minded people and hear concepts that you already agree with. But for us Christians, that's a problem. And it's not our calling. Because it makes it virtually impossible for us to properly love people if we don't connect with them. Sometimes, though, as Christians, we're actually guilty of a more deliberate disconnecting. We don't accidentally end up in a, in a bubble. We deliberately build walls. We go into kind of fortress mode. I reckon this is especially a danger for us at the moment right now. Many Christians feel vulnerable because of the results of the same-sex marriage vote. And I reckon some Christians are thinking to themselves, maybe what we need to do is, is just retreat. Richard Glover, who's um, he's not a Christian, uh, last week he wrote an article for the ABC. And in it, he says that every time that he has a Christian on his radio program, intelligent kind of Christian, every time he does that, he gets abusive complaints from people saying, stop giving Christians airtime. Michael Jensen is an Anglican minister in Sydney and he wrote an opinion piece for, for the ABC about the high value that we all place on marriage and how this is a good thing and, and we, we should keep play, placing high value on marriage. And he says about us Christians that we're not going to take our bat and ball and go home. But if you make the mistake of reading the comments after the article, especially if you're not sort of used to internet trolls, it makes you think, actually... Maybe picking up our bat and ball and going home and having a nice cup of tea might not be a bad idea. There's a whole lot of people who are actually saying that's what they want us to do. Maybe we need to retreat, raise the moat and just disconnect. That might make sense if our calling was self-preservation, but it's not. Our calling is to deep, honest, courageous love. And that means we need an openness to the people around us, even if it's met with hostility. We want to be a people of of warmth and compassion and a genuine interest in the people of the Northeast. And again, this fortress mentality, it's not just a problem for Christians. Much of our world is, is convinced that we can separate our private beliefs from our public life. And in fact... Much of our world would tell us that it's our responsibility to do that. Separate what you believe in private from your public life. And so if I'm a Muslim or or a vegan or a Buddhist or into witchcraft or even a Port Power fan, that's all fine. That's fine. We'll accept it. We'll endorse it. Just as long as you contain it within yourself and don't bring it into the public arena in a way that affects me but that's just not possible at least for us followers of Jesus that's just not possible there's no division between our private beliefs and our public lives everything we do in in public is driven by what we believe in private and to disconnect with our world or to disconnect what we believe from who we are in the world both of these possibilities would be for us dishonest and cowardly and in the end unloving listen again to what jesus really wants for us 
in his prayer when he talks to his father in John 17. Verse 15, Jesus prays, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See that? Jesus doesn't want us to retreat from the world. He, he doesn't want us to construct our own defences against the world. Jesus wants us in the world and he prays that God will be the one who defends us. And he doesn't so much defend us against people, he defends us against the evil one who may well use people. Jesus goes on to pray in verse 16, They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus is saying here, we don't share the world's values. We don't join with our world in in being at war with God. So in that sense, we're not of the world. But we can still speak the same language, with the same accent, with the same humour. We can still love the same sport, share the same culture and customs, and even share in the same patterns of thinking to a degree. None of these things is, is necessarily being of the world because we can now do these things in full knowledge of the truth that Jesus is Lord and Saviour. We, we should be into these things, but into them as believers, which means we enjoy them as gifts. And as we enjoy the gift, we worship the giver. That's the difference we have. Not that we withdraw, but that we live out our connection to God in everything that we do. See, it's, it's not our Christian subculture that makes us not of this world. It's not our Christian subculture that makes us not of this world. Looking back, for me growing up, I think my, my family was very much in, in fortress mode. We weren't into sport, we weren't into music, we weren't into computer games or TV my parents didn't drink alcohol. We were barely in the world in some ways. And when I went to uni, my housemate used to entertain himself for hours just probing my ignorance to see how deep it was or shallow. But in hindsight, that didn't make us more like Jesus as a family. It just made it harder to connect with people. Jesus was so close to drunkards that at one point he even got accused of being a drunkard, even though He clearly was not. To be not of the world, like Jesus is not of the world, is to be deeply connected with the people of this world with a purpose. Look at the purpose that Jesus gives the apostles and us in John 17. In verse 17, he prays, sanctify them. That means set them apart. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Set apart with with the truth of God's word, Jesus sends his followers into the world. Love causes us to, to burst our bubbles and to tear down our walls. But we're sent into the world with the truth, not not to bestow or receive acceptance, not to bestow or receive endorsement. We're sent with the truth. And the reality is, even though we're sent out with the truth and even though we go out in love, it's not always well received. In verse 14, Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world, 
any more than I am of the world. But whether we're loved or hated is kind of irrelevant. It's not why we connect. You know, our, our goal is not to be liked. Our goal is to love as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus who left behind the palace of heaven to live amongst us. The second way we want to love the northeast is by serving the northeast. Look at what Jesus says in, in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. This is just one example. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. We're called to serve people, even when it's not convenient. And we're called to be very generous in our service. Look at how generous in verse 44. Jesus even says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus calls us to to love our neighbours by serving them, by doing good to them no matter what. We saw this last week where, um, where Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we're called to love our own people here, yes, but we're not called to just love our own people like an inward-looking club. We're called to love all people as we have the opportunity. As a church, we want to connect with and serve the Northeast both collectively and also individually. To be honest, though, it's, it's been a bit of a struggle to do it collectively, I've found, in, in, in my time here. You know, we've, we've helped out with things like the working bee here at this school and done that a few times. We've tried to serve some people um, by our community gardening group um, and we've done that a little bit. We're thinking about starting a play group. But I think it's fair to say that it's a bit of a struggle trying to figure out what opportunities we have to serve our community and to do it well. Sometimes people come up with ideas, uh, like we've thought about trying to do ESL classes, English classes. I've got crazy ideas from time to time. I notice all these L-platers who are um, kind of advancing in years and not actually getting their licence. I thought, you know, maybe as a church we could, could help them. But we need... We, we need more than ideas. We need people to actually help these kind of things happen. Now, in some ways, our opportunities are reduced because we don't have our own building and we're only 200 people, including kids. We're not, we can't do what some huge churches can do. But still, our mission statement, it forces us to keep thinking this through. How, out of love, we can get better at this. And that's a good thing. As a church, we also want to support and encourage all of us as individuals to, to take the opportunities that we have to serve the Northeast. Whether that means encouraging those of us who, who serve in informal opportunities, like on school boards or helping out at a, a local sports club, we want to be a church that encourages each other not just to do that because it benefits our kids who are involved in that, but to do it out of love for the Northeast. But it might also mean encouraging each other in, in the informal opportunities we have as well, like driving a neighbour to a doctor or even small things like putting out the bins of our neighbours or bringing them in for them or making a meal for someone when something goes wrong. Whatever the case may be, we want to be a people who serve the northeast out of love. The final way our mission statement 
calls us to love the northeast is by evangelizing the northeast connecting and and serving the northeast sound reasonably appealing but evangelizing them sounds less so is that just me i mean think about what we're saying to people when we're evangelizing part of what we're saying to people is that their way of living is not giving god enough of a priority more than that we're saying their way of living all human way of living is offensive to god without jesus offensive and unless they turn to him they're going to face his judgment now when you put it like that evangelizing sounds like something you wouldn't do to a dog right how is it loving well we'll come back to this in a minute because really i've only painted a very small part of the picture evangelizing means speaking the gospel but sometimes because it's unpopular we can find ourselves looking for ways to get around of it around it and and one way you might have heard the expression um, preach the gospel and if necessary use words preach the gospel and if necessary use words that sounds appealing because it sounds like we can just get on with connecting and and serving and by doing that that we're sharing the gospel with people but actually Saying preach the gospel and if necessary use words is like saying to a newsreader as they're just about to go back on air this next story about the hurricane in the South Pacific. I want you to share it but not with words. Three, two, one, go. It's just not going to work, is it? It's going to be impossible. Sharing news requires us to use words. The gospel is news. That's what it means. It's, it's a message. And our actions will never speak the message. They're really important, but all they can do is show that we really believe the message and that our lives are transformed by it. Our actions can give our message a hearing. Now, we see this in, in 1 Peter, which was read before in verse 13. Peter says, Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The logic here goes like this. Of course they know you're a Christian. That's a given. And they know that's why you live like you live. And now that they're demanding that you explain your reasons for why you believe what you believe and why you live how you live, make sure you're ready to explain yourself. Without fear, because you trust in Christ as Lord. But of course, do it gently and respectfully because that's also the right thing to do and it shows that you belong to Christ. Of course, they know you're a Christian and they know that's why you live like you do. But now that they're demanding that you explain why that is, be ready to do it without fear, do it gently, respectfully. See, people need to know that we're Christians And they need to know that that Jesus shapes everything we do. And when they ask, even in hostile situations, 
We need to be honest enough and courageous enough to explain why we follow Jesus and why we live his way. And if we don't let people know that we're Christians and, or if we don't let people know that shapes what we do or if we're not ready and willing to explain ourselves, then we're actually not loving people. No amount of connecting with people or serving people will actually help them to come to know Jesus unless someone eventually speaks the gospel with them. And so evangelizing is actually one of the most loving things that we can do. Even if evangelism stopped at at warning people about the danger of not knowing God, that, that would still be loving. But of course, evangelism is actually not just negative news. In fact, its main thrust is incredibly good news. That's, that's also what it means. We bring the good news that through Jesus, people can know God, know life's purpose and know eternal life. Now, we all know it's possible to, to preach at people without love. Go for a walk down Rundle Street Mall and you might experience it. We, we could do it self-righteously. We, we could do it arrogantly. And as we heard last week in 1 Corinthians 13, if that's what we do without love, then we're nothing. But if we're not warning people about judgment and calling them to something so much better, we shouldn't think we're loving them either. There's a magician and an an atheist, um, a guy called Penn Gillette, who uh, a few years ago recorded a a YouTube video. So he's he's sort of famous in a small-time way. And um, an atheist, like I said, and, and he says, I don't respect people who don't proselytize or evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. We want to be known by our love. And there's no way around this for us. Loving the Northeast means evangelizing people. We need to do this as a church. We need to share the gospel warmly, gently, respectfully in things like our gingerbread house event. And that's exactly what Barb is going to do. I've, I've read her talk and it's great. And we need to do it at things like Minecraft and then our our carol, carols events coming up as well. But actually, each Sunday here needs to be an opportunity for people to hear the message about Jesus. And if that's not happening, then we need to change it. But also individually, we need to help each other share the gospel. What this means as a church, we've got to help each other know the gospel, know the power of the gospel... And we've got to help each other consider other people's need to hear the gospel more important than our need to feel accepted or comfortable or respected. When I sort of look at my own life and and sort of notice if I'm not involved in evangelism, I reckon it's usually because of one of four reasons. So one, it could be because of lack of opportunities. I'm just not getting opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. And, and I reckon it's worthwhile, if you're in that situation, to, to then pray for opportunities, to work hard at connecting with people, serving people, and God will give you the opportunities. Maybe not where you're expecting, but they'll come. Another reason why um, I've noticed 
um, I might not be evangelizing is because of a lack of alertness. Um, Opportunities come, but they're gone sometimes before I notice them. And it might be later that day that I kind of go, oh, this is what I should have said. Or in a bad week, later that week. If that's the case, again, pray, but pray for alertness. And also, deepen your knowledge of the gospel because it helps you think quicker and it helps you see gospel connections in all of life. Another reason I've noticed in myself why sometimes I might not be evangelizing is lack of courage. You know, I see the opportunity. I know what to say, but I'm scared of what it will mean in the relationship. And if you're finding yourself in that situation, again, pray, but pray for courage. And I think it also helps to remember that it's love that drives us to speak. Love for God and love for that person. And on both counts, love helps us to make the sacrifice. And the final reason, and maybe the biggest one actually, why I find myself some, in some seasons of life not evangelizing, is because I'm lacking gospel eyes. You know, it can be easy to look at people, neighbours, friends, and just think, they're right, they've got it all together. They don't really need Jesus. They're doing fine. But that's not how Jesus sees us. In Matthew 9, 36, we read, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Gospel eyes help us to see that without Jesus, whoever we are, we're harassed and helpless, sometimes harassed by loneliness or sickness or hopelessness, sometimes harassed by greed or addiction to alcohol or drugs or harassed by selfishness or pride. And even though we try all sorts of ways to lead ourselves out of these predicaments, Jesus says, it won't work, we're helpless. We need to see ourselves and our friends and our family through Jesus' eyes. We all desperately need the honest, courageous truth that without Jesus we're lost. But with Him, because of His death for us and His resurrection, we're loved by God for all eternity. Well, that brings us to the end of our series on our vision and our mission statement. I'm really hoping that you know our vision better than, than at the beginning. And um, I'm going to go out on a limb here, humour me, cheat if you have to, it's on the back of the outline. What is our vision statement? Loving... <laughs> Hopefully your hearts are really pumping that out because your voices weren't quiet. Loving God, loving God's people, loving the Northeast. We want to be a church like this. We are a church like this. But we want to grow and keep on growing in all of these areas. And I'd love it if we could commit our mission statement, here's a challenge for you, to our minds and of course to our hearts as well. I'm going to have a go. You can, you can test me if you like by looking on the back of the outline. But I would love it if we... Many of us, all of us, could remember this. We want to be known by our love, overflowing in our church, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our city, in our world. Not a soft, sentimental love, but the same love with which God has loved us in Jesus. Loving God as we trust, obey, and 
glorify Jesus in all of our lives, loving God's people at T&E as we welcome, disciple and equip one another, sharing life together, loving the northeast as we, hang on, we did this one today, come on, connect, serve and evangelize people to see people saved. I think that's close enough. It's always harder when you go, actually go to do it. But if we could commit that to our minds and to our hearts as a church, it would be great. Uh, we are a church like this, but we want to keep growing in this. Let me pray that God would pour out his spirit to help us do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this place here, that we love you because you first loved us, that we've come to know because of the gospel, because of Jesus' death in our place, we're accepted by you, not based on our performance. And yet, Lord, we thank you that this beautiful love that you've shown us changes us, makes us love in response, love you, love each other, and love our communities. Lord, empower us because we don't have the resources in and of ourselves to do this, but by your Holy Spirit being at work in our lives, we really can love like this. So, Lord, we ask, please be at work in us and change us to be more and more like Jesus for his glory. Amen.